when we hear, when we hear for the first time um, definitions uh, of the practice in terms of uh, capacity to be more in the present moment, uh, the capacity to give full energy to whatever it is that we are doing, to whatever it is that we are encountering, um, to be totally present, fully present, <coughs> undivided, non-fragmented. We naturally experience uh, interest and attraction. This uh, suggestion, this uh, intimation which comes from the great spiritual traditions uh, cannot but strike us, impress us. Also because we think that uh, this fullness, this uh, unified field happens to us when we like something. When we like something or someone, when there is strong, acute interest, then we have that impression of a unified field. We don't feel divided, we don't feel fragmented. We feel this fulfillment and this fullness. And so we think uh, that uh, these traditions, that the Dharma uh, has an incredible project for us because uh, it seems that um, that capacity which comes to us only in moments of good fortune, when we happen to like something or someone, uh, that possibility, it seems that is uh, possible to make it available uh, 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 and to make us not dependent on, on our good fortune. Uh, the project is to make it available and uh, to uh, put the basis for this inside ourselves not outside, to make this possibility constantly av- available, this wholeness, this unity, and therefore, therefore this happiness which comes from unity and fullness. So we get interested when, when we hear or we read statements to this effect. But then when we try to put this thing into practice, we realize how difficult it is. Sounds very beautiful at the same time when we try to put it into practice we see that it is not easy at all. And uh, so much so that uh, a number of people leave the practice. 
I've been uh, teaching and practicing for a number of years and I've seen uh, many people dropping out of the practice. Now, this is in part, uh, it's always happened that it's inevitable and uh, people sometimes or often realize that they were looking for another path, for another way of growing, so it's okay. Experimentation is like that. But uh, at other times, uh, it, could be, it could be avoided. And this has very much to do, this is just an aside, but I think it's important, with, um, with good sangha. Sometimes, uh, if a good sangha is present, as a strong sangha is present, uh, spiritual friends, teachers, then that discouragement, which comes from seeing the difficulty, the basic difficulty of the practice, uh, can be overcome to everyone's advantage. Because one more, one more person who has trust means uh, something more for many other people. So we see the difficulty. We, for instance, uh, decide that um, since we are about to tidy up our room, that we want to do it in, uh, in fullness of mindfulness and uh, of presence and of attention. And uh, we find difficulties. We thought it was an easy task. And we find basically two sets of difficulties. The first one if, is that we simply forget. Just pure forgetfulness. Which is, in this tradition, is an aspect of, of uh, confusion, of ignorance, of avidya. The opposite of avidya is awareness, is remembering what counts. And the opposite is unawareness, is forgetfulness. And there's a strong pull to forget, to forget what, what helps, to, for, to forget what is healthy. Kusala. So we just forget. And then there is another set of difficulties which comes from our reactivity. I suppose we start doing this simple task and we bump into some activity that we don't like. So we have dislike. Dislike makes it more difficult to be in contact with what we are doing, with the task that we dislike. It's one more layer. So in this case, forgetfulness comes from our reactivity, from our dislike. And being able to, to abide in dislike, to, to, to dwell and rest in dislike, takes even more training than just being able to stay uh, with a simple manual task. So either it's pure forgetfulness or it is forgetfulness triggered by our reactivity. Because dislike 
you know, has a power, has a power to cloud our mind, to drug our mind. And so we are not in touch anymore. And then uh, we, maybe we wake up and uh, we start again. Uh, and then we drift off and start reading a magazine as a compensation for maybe that dislike. And uh, then we wake up and we feel guilty because we spend uh, time reading the magazine. But again, guilt is like dislike, is a form of aversion. And aversion is charged with uh, avidya, with uh, ignorance, and makes it more difficult to be uh, in the present moment, to give ourselves fully to what we are doing. Dislike pulls us away, guilt pulls us away. And here, even more, the capacity to abide in guilt uh, is not easy. It's more complex than just abiding in a simple task. So we see, we see the difficulty. We see how easy we get fragmented. And uh, um, we see that having a unified field uh, and the rest which this brings in uh, is not so easy and takes practice and takes a, a training, takes some major, uh, although gradual, change in our life. And of course, to the extent that we see how much this effort is worthwhile, to that extent, uh, no problem. But if we, if we don't see uh, the value of, of the training, then, uh, of course, things are more difficult. Practice has many aspects, uh, but I would like to focus on a couple of them, also with an idea of uh, continuing something we've been talking about. And I am thinking of these two wings, so to speak, on the one hand, a movement towards faith, trust, and thrust. And uh, on the other hand, a movement away from, like letting go or simplification. As we saw, these are two aspects, two sides of, of, of the same coin. And the more we practice and uh, the more uh, we feel this thrust and trust, and the more we become capable of letting go what is not healthy. Two things go together and helps us becoming more whole, more capable of being in the present moment. The movement towards uh, sometimes is what Krishnamurti calls seriousness, earnestness. Um, Nisargadatta Maharaj, the great Hindu sage, also says beautiful things about the earnestness and the seriousness. Um, 
if I remember it well, he says, um, you'll realize the truth, provided you don't want anything else. If, meanwhile, you want many other things, then this is going to be postponed. Also thinking of uh, a religious poet, Kabir, and he talks about the intensity of the search, search for God. And he says, the intensity will take care of it all. The key is in the intensity. So the movement, the movement towards In actual life and practice, sometimes the manifestation of, of this search, of this thrust, is complex. And uh, in this tradition, there is one, uh, one word, samvega, which points to this uh, complexity. Samvega means, usually, is translated uh, urgency to practice or sometimes conversion, sometimes crisis, spiritual crisis. It's got contrasting uh, dimensions in it. Samvega means, on the one hand, dissatisfaction the satisfaction with our life, with something uh, in us. And uh, on the other hand, together, intertwined with the, the satisfaction, uh, something pushing, some determination, some trust, some courage, you know, they, they, they are uh, tied up together. And we can have dramatic moment of some vega in a, in a spiritual path, memorable uh, moment of some vega of crisis. Uh, the life of a seeker can be marked by a moment of some vega. Oh, uh, or, or we can have uh, uh, small moments of some vega, of this paradoxical situation in which on the one hand we are unhappy and on the other hand we are happy at the same time. We see that something is wrong and at the same time something is possible. It's possible to do something. We are lost and we are not lost. So, for instance, I... Uh, Remember, back in the 70s, once I was in this, uh, in this hall and there was a big group of yogis doing the walking meditation and um, nothing special, just 50 people walking together. We all know what it looks like. 
Um, I think Ajahn Chah, when he came to visit, equated it to a psychiatric hospital. <laughs> and um, so nothing, nothing exalted. And yet I very vividly remember that on the one hand there was fatigue and uh, there was this feeling of dissatisfaction. And on the other hand, there was happiness uh, about the practice, about this basically very strange thing of sitting and walking, and sitting and walking, sitting and walking. And these two dimensions were, were mixed up together. The satisfaction and hope and trust and wanting to do more, wanting to surrender, wanting to, uh, to let the practice lead the way. I have very vivid memory. And in moments of Vega, sometimes there is awe, there is something awesome which can be, uh, can generate fear. I remember someone saying or writing that the first time he listened to Gregorian chanting, he experienced fear. Some fear of what is unfamiliar. And yet he added, together with the fear, a sense of longing, of nostalgia, all mixed up together. We can close up to these moments. We can basically be afraid of the practice. We can be afraid of uh, having a relationship too close with the practice. We don't know what could happen. There is fear of losing and fear of not getting. So we think we're going to lose, we are going to, uh, to become detached. And uh, in addition to this, maybe nothing. That's the way fear works. So we are suspicious of this something, which is the practice. Shall, we, shall I have a deep relationship with this? with this dangerous stuff? Is this reversible or irreversible? (laughs) (laughs) So when we say uh, trust or faith, we say something uh, simple, but the way the way it works its way is is more complex. Uh, 
And of course, uh, since the backbone of the practice is mindfulness, is awareness, whenever we, we catch uh, this kind of fears, it's good just to, to bring awareness to it. And we said, on the one hand, the movement towards, and on the other hand, the move, movement away from, the, the letting go. Again, in this tradition, uh, there is a, a word, nibida. And uh, by nibida, what is meant is serene disenchantment. <laughs> Emphasis on serene. Well, we could say on a practical level and on a positive level, a more, a growing interest for simplicity, for what is simple, which means that uh, lots of extra in our life become less interesting. I'm uh, thinking of a few years ago, a friend of mine said, oh, you know, this couple of books are out and uh, important books. You should absolutely go and see them. So a few days later, I went into a bookstore and I asked for those two books. Uh, they were very beautiful to look at. And uh, they were even cheap. And they were bulky, beautiful, and cheap. <laughs> and since the very beginning, I knew that I wasn't going to buy them. <laughs> and an old part of myself was protesting. I was saying, what do you mean you're not going to buy them? Because they were wonderful constructions, uh, intellectually shiny constructions, but I, there wasn't that simplicity, you know, of, you know, addressing the Dharma in simplicity, which, you know, as time goes by, is what is more nourishing. So maybe uh, after having <clears throat> found delight uh, for years in, 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 in treatises we find ourselves uh, uh, taking delight in a small, pious booklet uh, which uh, would be very easily looked down by uh, other people. See, th again, this is something that we can be afraid of if we start thinking ahead, you know, simplicity. Uh, it feels like poverty. It feels like, you know, <laughs> becoming uh, poor. And, uh, but um, when we get some more simplicity, the feeling is totally the opposite. We feel happier.
So on one hand, the movement towards uh, gives us strength, and on the other hand, the movement away, the emptying, uh, makes us lighter. And uh, one of the results is that that effort uh, of being more present, uh, more fully present, is less difficult. Is more approachable. It becomes more of a reality. Not only this. There is one dimension which again is helped by these instruments that we've been talking about. It, for some reason, it reminds me um, when you dig a hole uh, in the sand close to the ocean. At one point, uh, you feel the water that's coming. So digging uh, with the practice, uh, at one point, we start feeling this something I would like to call respect. And it has this quality of amazing us, because I have this memory of being a child and, and digging holes and being surprised by this feeling that the water was coming by itself. And uh, when we say respect, we use it in a very dualistic way. We say this is someone I respect as opposed to someone else whom we don't respect. But the respect which is uh, triggered, which is uh, fostered by the practice, is uh, kind of indiscriminate. It tends to, uh, to cover opposite realities, opposite kinds of people. We, we start respecting our qualities and our difficulties, our good sides and our bad sides. Same, same with other people. We start feeling this uh, form of respect. Sometimes we could call even tenderness, uh, where we usually would not feel respect in, in, a, in a vision uh, based on, on I and my. Uh, respect is connected with excellency, with, with uh, performance, with, with uh, being superior to. And this is a different kind of respect. Is an opening 
which surprises us because it's not uh, a division but it's the other way around so it brings whenever it trickles in it brings a relief because it's not separating us it's the other way around So in a, in, a, in a couple of days, we'll be back and uh, into the world outside of this protected environment. We'll be will we will we be having more respect? for everything. Say we we wake up on a Monday morning. Maybe not next Monday. The other one. And, uh, and maybe the sky of our mind is dark. Gray and dark. And we don't want to get up and uh, we don't want to see people, and we don't want to be alone, and we don't, go, we don't want to go to work, and we don't want to stay home. <laughs> uh, how much respect can we have for, for this mind? And that's a real uh, frontier because we, we, we have no tenderness, we have only harshness and disrespect when in, 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 in such a situation. We've had no training whatsoever to hold our wounded mind because what it is, what's happening is that our mind is wounded. Not dramatically, but wounded. We had no training to take care of this. But if we practice, this is something which is calling for our attention, for our caring, wholeheartedly. Attending to our mind, to this situation, with, with, with a lot of respect. And then, uh, after some time, easily, we will be in the middle of traffic. Can we have respect for traffic? For ourselves in traffic? and for other people in the same quandary, in the same situation. Can we have a non-dualistic vision of traffic? Which means that there is not such entity called traffic which is threatening uh, this entity 
me. But it's a process, and we are all victims in this process. <laughs> so it's like, it's like a huge field hospital. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense to, to uh, uh, yell at, at, at the patient next bed. <laughs> somewhere and we uh, third opportunity for respect we buy a newspaper we all know that reading a newspaper can uh, make us depressed angry sarcastic again how much we can respect what we're reading on the newspaper. Are, are we seeing at a deeper level? Because, see, there is one level which is, for instance, that politician is incompetent and uh, dishonest. Okay, we won't vote for him. <laughs> That's one level. But there is another level. And the other level is that, as a living being, that politician is a human being, full of suffering. Respecting a dishonest politician. We, we've had no training, usually, for that. Actually, we, we uh, have been trained to be righteous. this would be uh, uh, considered a weakness. But the practice means respecting a dishonest politician. Obviously. Why not? Which, of course, doesn't mean accepting or uh, agreeing. It has nothing to do with this basic respect. Having a more compassionate response rather than anxious response. It's, you know, what we read in the newspaper is the family. It's our family. It's our, the psychosis in our family. It's not someone else's family. And then maybe from from reading the newspaper, we start walking towards our office or whatever it is that we go for work. And maybe we know that uh, some strong interpersonal stuff is waiting for us. 
So again, as practitioner, we have a choice, we have an option. We can just drown in, in those thoughts, or we can very uh, accurately and wholeheartedly practice. You know, we are walking towards the office. Each step, practice, be it the breath, be it metta. So the, uh, the uh, perspective, the anxiety, becomes uh, a positive challenge. And instead of chewing bitterness, we, we, we open up, we get more oxygen, more respect. As, as, you know, as, uh, the more softer, the more the, the softer we become, and, and the more res- respect we develop. Usually, the the the, the, the first uh, frontier for respect is is our mind. Once there is softness and tenderness around our mind, then we have a basis. But if we want to skip this and have respect for outside and uh, neglect this inner respect, that is not going to work. The immediate uh, matter of our inner work is our mind. When we are in the presence of someone who has some power of respect, some real power of respect, we feel something very soothing, very healing. It's like a balm. So that can give us an idea of uh, what we are working for. 